Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello, folks. This is Ralph Velasco back with another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. Here I am with uh, my good friend and partner, Ugo Che. How are you, Ugo? Uh, hi, Ralph. I'm doing good. How about you? Um, very well, thanks. I'm um, here in snowy Chicago. We have about, I don't know, 16 or 18 inches of snow, but it mm. ha- hasn't been too much of a problem. Uh, we've also got our wonderful guest, Lola Akinmade Ackerstrom. Did I pronounce that correctly, Lola? Yes, yes, uh, close oh. enough. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Lola's coming up to us from Stockholm. How are you, Lola? I am doing great. The sun is actually shining here in Stockholm today, so wow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. Is that unusual this time of year for you? Yeah, considering it's the end of, what, mid-February, it's usually really dark and really, really cold, so we'll take it. (laughs) I'm sure. Okay, well, welcome to the show. Let's get right into it then. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, Lola's background. Nigerian-born Lola Akinmade, Akerstrom's photography and travel writing are characterized by vibrancy and hope graduating with a master's degree in information systems from the University of Maryland with a minor in geography. She specialized in geographic information systems for 12 plus years and her affinity for the geosciences and maps meant she was born to travel. Her work has appeared in National Geographic Traveler, on the BBC, CNN, The Guardian, Travel and Leisure, Travel Channel, and on and on. Wow. Some of her articles and photography have been syndicated on MSNBC, Slate, Yahoo, the New York Daily News, the Chicago Sun-Times, Huffington Post, and Time Warner. She is the 2018 Travel Photographer of the Year Bill Muster Award recipient from SATW, or the Society of American Travel Writers. Lola and I met back in the summer of 2016 when we were both speaking at TBEX, also known as the Travel Bloggers Exchange in Stockholm, where she lives. I should mention that Lola gave the closing keynote that weekend, and it was extremely powerful. And we've been trying to get together on interviewing her for about a year and a half now. But uh, welcome to the show, Lola. All right. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here. Welcome. Yes, yes. (laughs) So tell us a little bit uh, about how you got started in travel photography. So I kind of happened into travel photography kind of by mistake. And what happened was uh, I've always loved to travel. But when I took photos while I was traveling, it was because I wanted to paint those photos. So I used to be an oil painter. And so when I traveled, I took photos of things or places or people I wanted to paint when I got back. But then after a while, I realized I was duplicating effort and the photos could stand on their own. And so that was when I kind of started exploring travel photography, photography as its own medium of expression and left painting behind. So that's kind of how I got into travel photography. And then uh, it was a couple of years ago when I was volunteering for an adventure race where I had to write and take photos. That was when I realized, oh, I could actually do this. 
for a living. And so I really uh, started exploring it more. That's that's really interesting. I've often wondered about that. People that uh, paint photographs, that is quite a skill. Are you, are you still painting much at all anymore? No, no. Wow. I, I wish I could. But I think when people see my work and see how kind of bright and colorful it is, that, that's almost like an insight into my life, my past life as an oil painter, because oil painting or oil oil paints are very kind of heavy and eye contrast and very colorful. So that's kind of when you see my work and the way I edit my work, it's got that in it. Yeah, we'll certainly be putting a link to your website in the show notes so people can see your wonderful work. Uh, I'm curious uh, about this thing that do, do you do this consciously? I mean, you, do you have any presets in your processing workflow that you use to somehow get close to the look of oil paintings or just uh, well, because you're drawn it, to it? Yeah, I mean, it's, and I don't have any kind of favorite presets. I do have a few settings I use, but it's not as close to oil paintings, but it's the, it's the vibrancy with which I edit. And that's because, you know, being an oil painter in the past, as well as even being Nigerian and African and growing up with a lot of color and vibrancy around me, that's what my eye naturally kind of sees when I travel. And, uh, and so when I edit my photos, that just naturally comes out because of, again, my background, as well as just that experience as an oil painter. So the photos don't look like they're exactly oil paintings, but the richness or the vibrancy, the eye contrast, the way I edit just naturally comes out that way because that's what my eye has been trained to, uh, to see. Well, tell us about your journey from being born in Nigeria to currently living in Sweden. <laughs> I know it's a very unconventional path, but uh, <laughs> I, I left Nigeria when I was 15 uh, to start college in the U.S. So I was actually done with high school then. And when I moved to the U.S., I went into a very technical path. So information systems, minor in geography, worked as a programmer for many years. And every single time I, you know, I had some vacation or holidays, I was traveling because it was just uh, something I was really interested in. While I was painting, taking the photos when I traveled to paint them. But I think it was at the moment when I volunteered for that uh, adventure race as a as a volunteer. At the time, it was called the Eco Challenge Expedition Race. When I volunteered with them in Fiji, I was taking photos and writing in the field. That was when it clicked for me that this is what I really wanted to do. And so when I came back from that assignment, I started finding the routes to leave my job, <laughs> you know, as a programmer to see how I could pursue travel photography full time, you know, as my job, as my passion. And so how I got from there to Sweden was um, I'm, 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 I ended up in Sweden because I am married to a Swede and we decided this is the best place to be right now in our relationship. But how I got kind of started professionally as a travel photographer was I was very audacious, meaning even though I wasn't ready, I, I knew I could tell a story and just started pitching the biggest publications I could pitch, even though I wasn't ready, you know, skill-wise. And what's the worst that could happen? They just ignore your stories or your pitch. Or what's the best that could happen? They actually say, 
we're interested in your story. And so that was kind of how I slowly started building my portfolio in this field because I am a self-taught photographer. I didn't go to school for photography, but I believed that I had the eye and and had the voice and I could communicate that in my work. And so by being audacious, <laughs> you know, even though uh, it was scary many times, I just went for it. Did you ever this, had this kind of debate in your head or thought, what, what, what I'm doing, what I'm getting myself into? And how, <laughs> would, how did that make you feel? Well, I mean, I, I, you have that debate all the time because there's always, you know, there are better photographers, there are, there are less skilled photographers, and you're somewhere in the middle sometimes. So, but if you uh, just believe that you can do it, And I think for me, that was very important, knowing that I had my own vision and I had and I trusted my eye and knew that um, I still have a long way to go. And you can never stop learning, but at least trusting that, trusting in your voice and in your vision. And so, of course, you get those uh, dialogues in your head like, oh, my God, am I, I going to be able to do this assignment? But trusting and knowing that, yes, you can. You know, and, and I think once we get out of our own way, we can co accomplish a lot more than, than, we, uh, than we can. Because most of the times we are the ones that limit ourselves because we feel less confident. So once we get out of our own way, I think we can accomplish a lot. And you're not only a travel photographer, but you're a travel writer. So you've got those two skills that just blend perfectly and... Um, you know, and it obviously you've been published worldwide in these amazing publications. Uh, have you always been a writer as well? Yes. So I have uh, always been, a, I actually was a writer way before I was an oil painter. But I think, I, I believe once you're a creative person, you will always be creative no matter what medium you choose to express yourself. So that's why... Uh, You know, maybe sculptors or artists can be very good photographers because they already have the natural creative eye, you know, or they might be able to string words together because they already have that natural creativity. So I always look at whatever tool you use as just a medium of expression because the creativity will always be the answer with writing. It was the same thing. Uh, sometimes getting words explaining in words can be more powerful than showing in a picture or sometimes a picture can be more powerful than explaining in words so it's being lucky and feeling blessed to be able to have those two mediums of expression based on how i'm feeling yeah that's that's fantastic i, I wish i uh, was a better writer for sure <laughs> uh, it, it comes very uh, I mean I, I enjoy writing sometimes but it's 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 a little bit tedious for me unfortunately it doesn't come naturally <laughs> yeah no, no worries no worries yeah. uh, you know first of all congratulations on recently being named 2018 travel photographer of the year what an honor uh, tell us yeah, <laughs> tell us how does one qualify for the SATW Bill Muster award Okay. So what makes it really special is that it is a recognition from your peers as well. And, and there are some uh, independent judges, 
But what you do is for all members of the organization, as well as non-members, you can submit a portfolio of work. And I think it's a portfolio of 20 images. And that's judged against all the other submissions, you know, as a collective cohesive, cohesive portfolio to uh, award like the best photographer of the year or, or the photographer for that uh, for that year. So that's why every year it changes, you know, based on how strong your portfolio is. And so uh, it's a huge, huge honor because it's from a very pre prestigious organization. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm just uh, honored to, to receive it. Did you say that, uh, it, so you submit 20 images and is there any categories or are they? Yes. It, there are, okay. Can yeah, you tell so us a little it's, bit about that? So the categories, I think there are about four or five of them. So it's, you know, action, um, animal, uh, landscape, people photograph, you know, people portraits or people general and the strongest images. So it's not just sending 20, but the strongest, if your photo is the strongest in all of those kind of together, then you you are awarded uh, that travel photograph of the year. So, so yeah, so your photos have to kind of fit all of those. It's a set that fits all those categories, and then it's collectively judged um, like that. Lola, I was uh, looking at your website before starting this interview, and I found a couple of articles that I would like to uh, to talk about them with you, and especially <laughs> okay. one because I just returned from Venice. Right, mm. so one of your articles just caught my attention because it's titled "Venice is not overrated." So, yes. uh, do you want to to explain why of people course. think that Venice <laughs> is overrated and why you think it's it's not so? Well, I think uh, everybody knows Venice is one of the most tourist you know tourist visited locations in the world, and the problem is because Venice is kind of self contained; it has nowhere to expand to. And so it just keeps falling, falling under the weight of, of tourism and, and cruise ships. And so a lot of people don't like the city because of that, not because the city is not beautiful. And so in that piece, I was trying to explain that there's a reason why people keep coming here. It's because it is a very beautiful city and its beauty is not underrated. It's not overrated. The problem is people come when it's summer or high season and then it's just filled with tourists. And so the best times to visit Venice is kind of not even on the shoulder season, but the really off-off season where there's nobody there. But at the same time, you also want to be cognizant because tourism, too much tourism is what's killing the city. So, so the point of that article was to say, look, there's a reason why people come here. It is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It's just a shame that this is what's going on. And there's, you know, if we kind of collectively say, you know what, let's try and reduce the cruise ship stopping or something to save the city, uh, yeah, we could. So that was kind of the purpose of that, uh, of that article. Yeah, the cruise ships are uh, kind of a problem there, according to, to yeah. many people. Um, and I've, I've just been to Venice, as I was saying before, and it was for yeah. the carnival. Mm. The carnival is one of the highest uh, peaks of visitors in the city, especially mm. uh, for people who just take daily trips there. It can be really mm. uh, crowded. But yes. it can be even in high season, even during the carnival. I think there are still 
uh, areas of Venice. Even if the city is, is small, relatively small, it cannot expand. But most of the tourists don't go much off the beaten path. They mm. go to San Marco, they go to Murano, they go to um, a few mm. other places. But there are areas that are wonderful and still retain mm. much of the charm of the, the ancient Venice. There are no mm. souvenir shops there. There mm-hmm. are no McDonald's, Burger King, uh, <laughs> boutiques, and so on. I've, uh, I'm in love with the area around the, uh, the ancient ghetto, the Jewish quarter, mm-hmm. uh, yes. especially the northern part of the city. Uh, mm-hmm. You go there even in the peak of the carnival, and there mm-hmm. are only Venetians there. There are no tourists. So it's, it <laughs> can still be wonderful even at those times. I think I've uh, got my own little list of little spots off the beaten path that I like to, mm. to go again and again and mm. so I, I I agree with your with your well, uh, that's good I'm, I'm glad you do and I'm glad you're saying this as well because uh, you know a lot of people are not giving the city enough credit you know and it and it's a beautiful beautiful place yeah. Yeah. I uh, I was in Venice I don't know it has to be about eight or ten years ago now but it was uh, I forget exactly what time of year but it wasn't off off season and it, it was probably shoulder season knowing me but um, I mean getting out in St Mark's Square you know the most touristed square in the most touristed city in the world at like seven o'clock in the morning and I was there by myself mm-hmm. it was just the the you know man sweeping up the square and that was it and you know seven o'clock is not that early mm-hmm. so uh, you know I, I'm a huge proponent of getting out early and getting oh, yeah. ahead of those tourist <laughs> crowds and for so many other reasons and this is in the most touristed city in the world probably and uh, you could still have it to yourself, but uh, yes. I like that idea of uh, this list that you've got there, Ugo. <laughs> I, I want to go so bad; it's been too long. Let, let me know; I'll show you my little secret places. All right, okay. all right. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, Lola, you're also a published author. Uh, tell us about your books. Uh, both, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Lagom, the Swedish secret of living well. And due north, what does lagom mean? So it's uh, it's pronounced lagom, and it is a Swedish kind of philosophy or ethos of living. And lagom is kind of the new trend word, the new trend lifestyle word around you know around the world right now, because um, people are looking, you know, people are stressed. They are looking for kind of answers in other cultures, looking at other cultures to see what they are doing well what they can adopt. And the reason I, I wrote Logam is because one, I've been living in Sweden for, for a while now, but as a writer, my beat is exploring culture through food, lifestyle, and tradition. So it was a natural fit for me to write about this a subject. And I've written about it in depth from an outsider's view as well as an insider's view. So it was a, so my book is one of uh, many Logon books out on the market, but uh, my book has got 14 lang- uh, 17 languages now and really goes in a lot more depth in what Logon it is and how it interacts in society, in the workplace at home. And then my other book, Do you Not, which I call my baby book, my book I really, really uh, love is um, because I self-published it. <laughs> It's called Do Not, and it's a collection of travel um, observations and snapshots and musings over 20 years of travel. 
And so it's a, it's a mix of, it's kind of a photography book, half writing, talks about kind of some of the interesting people I've met along my journey. And I used the photos to kind of illustrate the sentiment in the written piece. So that's a book I'm really, really proud of. And I think shows how I travel from, from the point of a Nigerian travel traveler, a travel writer and a photographer. So, um, yeah, so that's both books. <laughs> I'm not really sure I get this concept of logo. Maybe you can explain it with <laughs> a, maybe a specific example. How does it apply yes. to, to your life if it does? Okay. So logum is usually described as not too little, not too much, just right. It's supposed to be the philosophy of kind of moderation and contentment in your life. And so in Sweden, that concept is pervasive in the culture. So when you say something is logum, it means just right, meaning it's not too much, it's not too little. In society, it means making sure you're cognizant of the group, you know, making sure you're not taking too much from the group or or taking too little. So it's a way of creating harmony and balance. And so in my own life with logum, it's um, because it is the fun, it's what it means to think like a Swede. It's the mindset. It means removing excess in your life. So, and that excess could be material things. It could be relationships. It could be unnecessary things. It means trying to simplify your life so that it's not too much, not too little, get rid of uh, sources of stress. And it's a word that's a lot more nuanced than that. And that's why I wrote a whole book about it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you cannot summarize it it in a few words. Because it manifests itself in different situations differently. But I think the core of it is trying to find that just right balance in your life, as well as within society. Sure sounds like the English word for moderation. That's what people say, but it's actually not moderation. Oh, okay. it's, it's part of it, but it's, I think, I, I truly think um, it lies closer to optimal, like the, the optimal amount of something. So it's supposed to be the best decision, not the perfect decision, but the best decision you can make for yourself within a certain context or within a group. So it's, it's a very nuanced word. Sometimes it means moderation with food. Sometimes it means less is more with decor. So it's a, it, it lies more closer to optimal decision making in a situation, in a context. So a very nuanced word. So yeah. if you pick it up. And, and it's in Italian as well. So if you want to <laughs> pick it up as well. Uh, to me, it somehow recalls some aspects of uh, stoicism. Mm, I'm not mm. sure if you're familiar with that kind of philosophy, but it's uh, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I and I think it's um it, it's uh I would say it's a ethos of mindfulness. Yeah. Because um it's a a lot of people when they describe uh, Scandinavians sometimes they think they are aloof and distant and kind of cold or reserved, but that logon mindset is one of mindfulness that's trying to give everybody space, like make sure I'm not inconveniencing you, I'm giving you your space, which creates that illusion of I'm, I'm a cold, distant person, which is not true. So it's, um, you know, it, it is a very fascinating ethos and it really does permeate the whole <laughs> society. 
And I think uh, once uh, once you read the book, and because I do break it down in every almost every single aspect of life, you know, society, work, um, you know, finances, even then you understand, you truly understand what it means, and how it, and, and how to recognize it. Sounds like a part of it might be tolerance too. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'd, I'd never heard that term before, so I'm going to have to get the book. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's, that's great. So, uh, so back to travel photography, in your opinion, what makes a good travel photograph? So what makes a good, uh, you know, I think we over time, we've always said, a photograph that captures a sense of place, you know, makes a good photograph. But I think for me, a good photograph is one that answers all the questions at once. So if I have a question about something, where was it taken? Who was it? A photograph that leaves me with no questions to ask, that tells me everything right away that I need to know, I think is a really strong photo. Um, and I think I think there was a, a a famous photographer once said that capture how the place made you feel, not how it looks, and that's why it's also important when you edit because in my photos I want to capture and show the readers this is how I felt when I was there. It was maybe it was a really moody day, but this was this was the emotion I felt at that moment. And so that also translates into how you edit the photos as well. So for me, a, a really good photo is one that, tell, that can answer the who, what, why, you know, when, right away, visually, and, and one that also uh, captures the feeling, you know, of was it moody, was it hope, was it joy at that moment, for me anyway. And, uh, I mean, at sometimes do you like to leave people wondering, questioning with the photograph or is it about answering all those questions and, and that kind of is the definition of a successful photograph to you? No, I mean, there isn't one, like, I wouldn't say a, a successful photograph is just this template. Sure. Otherwise then you know, we're not making room for creativity or everybody's unique view. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it depends on your goal with the photo, what you're trying to, because it's, it's almost as, it's not just taking the photo, but it's what you're trying to communicate. So for example, when I take portraits, environmental portraits of people, when I travel, my goal is to show the viewer what the person wants me to show because it's them, you know, it's not me, it's not a photo of me, it's a, it's a photo of someone who has granted me access to them. So they, how they want to be portrayed to the world is how I need to show them to the world, right? If I'm taking a photo of a landscape, I, I take it, I, I try to communicate how I felt when I was there. So, so there are many ways you can... Um, describe a good photo depending on what the end goal is. I think one, I like a photo that really does answer a lot of questions right away. 
And then one that leaves you guessing, again, just depends on the goals, what, what, what your goal as a photographer is with the particular image. Because it's not just shooting, you are creating a photo. It's not just going out and shooting, you're creating um, as an artist what you want the people to experience and, and take away from your photos. At least that's what I do. Yeah, I don't know who said it, that you, you don't take photographs, you make them. Yes, exactly. You create them because otherwise it's uh, then you're just <laughs> going through the motions. You, you have to, as a photographer, bring some of your own artistic eye and your own vision to whatever it is that you're creating. Otherwise, how do you stand out, right? Right. Yeah, I think taking is about the photographer and making is about you know the the viewer you're making it for someone all right yeah. all right yeah and that's what and i always say for example when i look at uh, landscape uh, a lot of landscape photographers some amazing technical shots but sometimes i can't tell whose photo is whose photo because they're just kind of technically done perfectly but there's nothing about the own photographer's style in it It's just a technically perfect shot, you know. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's very important that even if it's a messy shot, I can tell, oh, that's Ralph's photo, you know, or that's Hugo's photo. That for me is more important than a very technically perfect shot because I need to see you. I need to see the photographer's vision and style. Yeah, t technical perfection is, I think, very f formulaic and it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to, you know, use these certain settings to make this perfect photograph, but it's not very personal. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Okay. Uh, different topic, if you don't mind. And again, inspired by one of the articles on your website. Uh -oh. <laughs> I need to stop writing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> and it's, it's great when I can interview somebody and I can use their website and the writing as a source of uh, topics, inspiration and So this is about the era of entitlement. So what is this era of entitlement and what can we do to combat this attitude? <laughs> well, uh, the reason I wrote that is because, I mean, we all see the industry is changing, quality of photography is changing, and what Instagram puts value on <laughs> is changing. And so people that are not technically photographers and just have, you know, feeds filled with selfies, have built this kind of faux celebrity around themselves. That means because I have thousands of followers, then I'm entitled to all of this. And I see some really amazing photographers who are just masters at their skill and their craft that don't have as much following, right? They have maybe just a few hundred, even a few thousand. And the people put the people, you know, I call them the, like the selfie generation, kind of equate themselves to that. And that's why I was trying to write that, look, just being fabulous is not a business model. Like just because, <laughs> just because you woke up and you said I'm fabulous and so everybody needs to pay me isn't a business model. You actually need to create work. You need to create art. You need to leave a legacy. You need to, you need to contribute to the world you know, bring your talents to the world, you know, that, that, that's not superficial, that can leave a lasting mark. And so that was the point of that, you know, is 
everybody is fabulous. We all exist, you know, because we exist, we are fabulous, but we need to bring something more to the table. And so that was kind of the point of, of that. Yeah, I think the, the problem, yes, with people who are entitled, but they are oblivious to their own entitlement. Exactly. So I think, yeah, I'm, I'm not entitled to this. I get this because I am fabulous. It's all the yeah. others who are entitled. <laughs> exactly. I'm not fabulous. So I'm not sure really what kind of education or things we can, well, persuasion we can use to, to fight this, this trend, which I totally well, see. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the only thing we can only do is just call it out because sometimes if you're oblivious, what you need is somebody to kind of hold the mirror and say, take, mm. take, take a break, you know. Um, I think there's another quote that's one of my favorite quotes that's been circulating. It says something about never as a generation documented themselves accomplishing much less than any other generation. <laughs> and I, and I, know it's not, I know it's not a fear. I know it's a fear. It's an unfair generalization, but in some aspects, it's true that people are documenting themselves accomplishing much less than generations, you know, before them, just in terms of uh, just struggles and things like that. So that that's a perspective given quote. I don't want to generalize because, you know, I mean, it's uh, lots of amazing things have happened, but, but that puts it in perspective as well is, again, just that. You have to you have to create something. You have to you have to leave something, not just wake up and be fabulous and expect to just be paid for being fabulous. So. Yeah, I, I appreciate the you know the I don't know the couple that you know he was taking a picture of the the woman always kind of with her hand back holding her hand and mm. you know she's looking out at this amazing scene. And, and that's fine because it seemed like at the beginning that was unique, but yeah. then everyone started doing that and then it just became <laughs> ubiquitous. And yeah. yes, I appreciate the creativity at the beginning, but then when everyone just starts copying it, that's when it really loses it for me. Mm. No, I agree. I agree. And I think it's, you know, it's very difficult to stand out in an industry that's rapidly evolving. And that's why it's more it's more important than ever to stay true to your own style and your own voice, because that's going to be the constant when things are evolving around you is your own voice. Yeah, that's very profound because it's always just going to come back to you. Exactly. You know, you're you're the you're the constant. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Your photography is represented by National Geographic Creative. Uh, tell us what what is that exactly? So National Geographic Creative is an agency that represents about 300, I think about 300 photographers worldwide. And what they do is in addition to selling our work, um, because we, we, we shoot, you know, and we, we uh, bring the work back into the National Geographic collection. So in addition to selling that, they also partner you with different brands. Like if there is uh, maybe a campaign going on or there's um some kind of partnership, you know, they pick the right photographers to, to, to partner. So for example, one of the things I did was a, a vignette with, with National Geographic Channel and South African Tourism, where they, it was called Through the Lens. And they picked up a, a bunch of National Geographic photographers to kind of explore different parts of South Africa. And then they had the camera follow the photographer doing the photography, 
you know, like almost like a one minute commercial on TV for South Africa. And so things like that, those kind of uh, brand alignment, brand partnerships, uh, National Geographic Creative does. And being part of that agency means I always have an assignment letter. So if I'm traveling and I wanted to take photos, I, I you know, I just show my assignment letter because I'm going to get those photos back into the collection. So, so it's a great, uh, it's a great partnership for me right now. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Yeah. No, I enjoy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so before we got online, uh, you were telling me about a really cool project that you're working on called the Nordic TB Collective. Tell us yes. about that. So Nordic TB Collective is, uh, you know, a bunch of, I think we're about 35 core and then over 100 extended members. And it's um, a collective of professional travel bloggers and travel influencers and digital storytellers in the Nordics. So the five Nordic countries. And the goal of our collective is to help set some standards in the industry when it comes to, tra to the way we interact with travel bloggers. Because... I remember when travel bloggers were kind of coming onto the scene and traditional travel journalists didn't kind of appreciate, you know, that new medium. And so what we're trying to do is educate people, let them know that it is just a medium. You have to be a fantastic writer and a fantastic photographer first <laughs> before you can be a blogger because blogging is just a medium you choose. And I always say that, you know, if, if I went to somebody and introduced myself as a photo blogger, are you going to see me differently than if I introduced myself as a National Geographic creative photographer? I'm the same person. And so the goal of the collective is to try to remove those kind of stigmas around blogging and treat it as really a professional uh, career because it really is. And so that's what we do. We work with different destinations, create successful campaigns and then show them this, these are the best ways to work with travel bloggers based on their strengths so that's what we do impressive great um, I would like to ask you a question that I've recently started asking uh, many of my guests kind of a thought provoking <laughs> open ended question so let's oh. see what, what we get out of this so the question is what drives you crazy <laughs> what drives <laughs> me crazy Oh, uh, honestly, I mean, now, now that I know better, I do better. But as a photographer, sneaking shots of people drives me crazy. I don't, you know, I don't know why, but it's the, because I take a lot of environmental portraits of people. And I think I truly believe if you acknowledge people first, um, you can still come back and still get closer photos of them. Mm -hmm. than if you kind of are hiding in the shadows and sneaking a shot. And I know, you know, there's different styles of photography, there's street photography and all that. But I truly believe if you go up to somebody, you know, just acknowledge them first, call them by their name multiple times, leave and come back, they're going to let you actually get closer into their world, into their space to let you take those personal photos and so that's one of the things that does uh, that does drive me a little bit crazy now, you know, now that I know better is um, acknowledging people. And a lot of people always say, well, when I travel to places and people are asking me for me for money to take portraits, 
I said, I tell them, did you ask them what their names are? Because if you start calling somebody by their name, chances of them just asking you for money after that is going to be a lot less as well because you've acknowledged them, you've seen them, they've already formed that instant, even if it's temporary, that connection with you, that connection with you. So, so that's one of the things, you know, that I, I always feel like you, you just have to acknowledge people, you know, you really do call them by their name. It's the sweetest word, <laughs> you know, that they like. So very good. That's answer. interesting. Yeah, sorry, Jeff. If I, yeah, if I could just interject real quick, uh, you know, with, when you are talking to them, you're having a conversation, you're, you're giving them acknowledgement, but when you don't acknowledge them, you haven't given them anything. So that's maybe when they're asking for money. Correct. So yeah. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, what about the fact that, you know, it's because I, I enjoy, I, I'm not a street photographer at all, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I call it sneaking, but I'm a very fast shooter and I like to get shots of people that are candid. Mm. And it's very difficult to do that after you've had a conversation with someone and have developed even a, a short relationship with them. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, know. no, to talk to, to talk to that. If you're doing street, I have no problem with environmental shots as long as the person is not the focus. You know, like if they if they are part of the story, the bigger story you're trying to take, of course. But if they are going to be your central piece and then you're kind of sneaking around them, personally, I feel you can actually get stronger photos, you know, even if it's, I, I actually gave a talk and I think it was TBEX in, uh, in Thailand where I actually talk, gave a presentation about how to photograph people as well as candidly to and quickly, you know, while still acknowledging them. So I think there are, it depends on what you're trying to create at that moment, but if the person is the focus of that piece you're trying to create, you know, it's always great to to acknowledge them, to not make them feel like they're just this object in what you're trying to create. But if they're like if they're the focus piece, but if they're just kind of part of, like if it's somebody walking through a shadow or into a you know a natural spotlight, that's different. You see what I'm saying? But if it's if they're gonna be the focus. You know, and you want to focus on their face and focus on them. I, I personally think it's good to uh, to acknowledge. Maybe this harkens back to the what we were talking earlier about entitlement, because sometimes people think they are entitled to take anyone's photos in any circumstance, no, no matter what. And uh, just because it's legal in most places yeah. doesn't mean that it's it's the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and one way to think of it is this, because. The disposition of a person in your photo can tell if they give you permission or not and can also help you in the future if the person somehow wants, wants to threaten even some legal action and say, because in the photo, you can tell if the person was a willing participant, even if you didn't get a model release or not. Like if they were really just kind of showing you that it's okay for you to take my photo. So that's something, you know, that I also think about in terms of disposition in a photo. You know, what's the, person dis what's the person's disposi disposition? Did they give me permission, their full permission for me to take this or not? So, I mean, you know, like I said, 
there are different kinds of photography and that's why I kind of stay in my niche because I know that this is what I would like to do, you know, and I, I do appreciate street photography. I do street photography as well all the time. It just depends on what the person's role is in the photo I'm trying to create. Great. Wonderful insight. Thank you so much, Lola. Thank you. As we wrap things up, uh, tell us about any workshops, classes, speaking engagements, or other events that you have coming up. Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, I, it's always uh, a lot going on. I mean, my next uh, travels will be to ITB Berlin, which is the world's uh, largest trade trade fair. And I'm going to be speaking. And they're talking about kind of the best way to collaborate with bloggers and, and digital storytellers successfully. And then I've got a bunch of assignments coming up, including uh, in Beijing and Zurich, and it's all photography assignments. So, uh, so I am looking forward to the next few months. A lot's going on. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure that we put uh, links to uh, your website and other things that we spoke about during the interview. I uh, can't thank you enough for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I'm very happy about this conversation we had. It was really great. So lots oh, of uh, <laughs> thought-provoking topics that we covered today. So really, really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank You're you, guys. Welcome. Bye-bye. Bye now. Well, and that was another great episode with another very interesting photographer. Lola has uh, got some incredible insights on not just life in general, but also photography. And uh, Ugo, what do you have coming up in the next uh, couple months or what's on your agenda? Uh, not, not a lot. I'm actually uh, kind of being stable here for, uh, for some time. I don't have any long-range trips coming up. I actually just, as I mentioned in the interview, I just returned from my uh, annual Venice Carnival workshop, which was uh, l- lots of fun. Uh, started sharing some photos and more will come soon and I actually started already planning uh, the tour of next year and what, what we said we're talking with Lola about the uh, hidden off the beaten path uh, locations in Venice I'm actually thinking of doing a little maybe a short long weekend tour of Venice where I would be leading people to those places that I that I love that not many people uh, know but I'm also going to launch the Carnival Workshop for next year, which is uh, will be at between the end of February and the beginning of March 2019. And uh, you can go to my ucphoto.me tours page, and uh, that there will be a page soon up with some some details and possibly some uh, way to pre-book a seat there. And uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see, all the details are still still to come, but I'll be working on that. I'll be working on my next uh, Oman tour, which will be likely in December of 2018. So I'll be working at the computer, preparing pages, uh, scheduling things, uh, contacting tour guides and operators. So that's that's going to be my my occupation for the next few weeks, I think. What, What about you? Well, uh, as we record this, this weekend, actually tomorrow, I'm heading to San Jose, California for the Bay Area Travel and Adventure Show that will have already passed uh, when this episode comes out, but that's the last show that I'll be speaking at uh, for this quarter, and then I've got a uh, sold-out Cuba trip 
and then I come back for a couple weeks and have a sold out Morocco trip, which is really nice. And and then I'm uh, trying to work out my May schedule to either scout Portugal or Greece. And uh, those are some trips that I have uh, on the agenda for 2019. And uh, my Copper Canyon, Mexico trip in in August. We just got enough people to make that trip a go. We've got the minimum required, but uh, people don't realize Copper Canyon is bigger and deeper than the Grand Canyon and has one of the great train rides of the world right through it. Plus, you have the Tarahumara Indians, a really interesting culture, many of whom live in caves and cliff overhangs till this day. So uh, one of my favorite trips, and it's just a few hours south of us here in the U.S., and uh, people, many, have never even heard of it. I didn't hear about it until I went there and shot for a cookbook on the Mexican cuisine. But uh, looking forward to that trip and, and many others. So, and of course, where, but, where uh, can people find about those trips and about you? Yeah, so if uh, you go to photoenrichment.com and look for tours, there should be a drop down there. We're uh, doing some uh upgrading of the website and I've got a developer working with me to to make it a, a much better experience and uh, I've, I've had a consultant come and take a look at it and uh, there was a lot of very obvious mistakes that I was making that weren't really good for the user experience so I'm looking forward to to getting those fixed but uh, simply photoenrichment.com for that and my yeah. other trips. I'll have a look at your website when it's uh, it's been refreshed and I'll see if I can use your consultant for my website as well, <laughs> which probably <laughs> needs it as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, one final thing. I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was saying one, one more thing I want to, uh, to say is that we have recently been listed on Spotify. So with there, if people are like using Spotify instead of uh, of just listening to music, you can also listen to podcasts and ours is there. I don't know if there's a way to uh, share a link or URL. I don't know how that works with Spotify, but you can just search, uh, search for the traveling image makers and you can subscribe there if you like Spotify uh, in a, as an alternative to Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, Outcast or any other application that you can you want you use for listening to podcast. Now Spotify is an option as well. So uh, that's uh, that's something more. And of course, everything on uh, on our website is at ttim.photo, uh, including this episode, which, if I'm not mistaken, is going to be episode 117. So it will be at ttim.photo/slash 117. Great. Where can people find you online, Ugo? Yeah, as usual at ucphoto.me. And there are links to all my various online presences, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and everything else. Great. And you can find me online at Photo Enrichment and at Ralph Velasco on all the social media outlets. And uh, if you have an interest in learning how to organize and lead your own tours, please go to tourorganizertraining.com. And uh, check us out. The next free webinar is coming up soon. Great. See you next week. Now let's get out and shoot.